Well, welcome everyone. We want to thank you again for joining us online today for our Genesis worship service. My name is Paul and I'm the lead pastor and we are continuing uh, in this series called Explore God today. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at some important questions uh, about God, about faith, and about things like spirituality. And we've got a few weeks left in this series and so I hope that you'll hang with us uh, because these next few weeks uh, could make a big difference for anyone, uh, anybody that might have any questions about God, about faith, about Jesus, or where he might fit into your life. And today's question is an important one. In fact, today's question, I would say, is a critical one, and it's the question, is Jesus really God? And here's something interesting that I found this past week. According to the Barna Research Group, 92% of Americans say that they believe in a historical Jesus. Now, when we talk about a historical Jesus, that is the belief that Jesus was a real person uh, who lived in the first century, and there's good reason for that. There's great evidence uh, for proof for the existence of a historical Jesus. So much evidence out there today for us to sort through. Now, I'll give you just a couple of examples. William Leckie was uh, one of Britain's most noted historians, but also an opponent of organized Christianity. He says this about Jesus. Uh, Leckie writes, the simple record of Jesus' three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all of the disquisitions of philosophers and all of the exhortations of moralists. Or take Napoleon Bonaparte, for example. Napoleon Bonaparte was uh, recorded saying this, that everything in Christ astonishes me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible terms of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. One can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the imitation of the example of his life. And then I love this one by uh, world-known historian Yorosalv Pelikan. What a great name. Uh, he, he says this about Jesus. He says, regardless of what anyone may think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 21 centuries, or for 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? And then this, it is from birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It is by his name millions curse and in his name that millions pray. And these are just a few, a few of many examples of those who have affirmed their belief in the historical Jesus. However, uh, an overwhelming majority of people, while an overwhelming majority of people believe a man named Jesus lived in the first century, the idea of Jesus being God is another story. And so what I want to spend the rest of our time considering today is this. It's this question. Who did Jesus think he was? What, what did Jesus think about himself? What, what sort of things did Jesus say 
about why he came. Because Jesus wasn't silent on this subject uh, about his identity by any means. I mean, the, the Bible, or the Word of God as we call it, is full of claims that Jesus made about himself. And I want to examine with you for just a few minutes a few of those claims together. And if you're taking notes, uh, maybe write this down to start. The first claim, claim that I want to examine is this, that Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Now, there was a guy by the name of John. John was a close uh, follower of Jesus. We call him a disciple of Jesus. And he's left a written account of many of the things that Jesus said and did uh, during his time here on earth. And John records in, in John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33, here, well, here's what he records. Uh, Jesus' own words. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? For which of these do you stone me? He goes on to say, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, all right, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And so this is the first of just multiple occasions where uh, we hear Jesus claim that he and the Father are one. And this is a bombshell, really, when you think about it, because as soon as Jesus utters these words, take note of how his adversaries pick up stones to kill him. Now, why? Well, because they regarded his words as a blasphemy and as an affront to everything they believed to be true. And so that's just one scandalous claim that Jesus made about himself. Here's another. Jesus also claimed the authority to forgive sins. Uh, Mark records uh, this account in Mark chapter 2 of an occasion where Jesus encounters a, a paralyzed man. And here's what, here's what Mark records, that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, again, to the average Jewish person, the idea that, that anyone could forgive sins against God was inconceivable. I mean, everyone believed that that kind of power was reserved from God, for God. And so here comes Jesus, I mean, the one who claimed uh, to be equal with God, and he offers forgiveness to this man, and he would do so to many others as well. And by offering that kind of forgiveness, he was speaking as one with authority, authority that the Jewish leaders around him felt was reserved for God. And so Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Uh, we see here that he claimed the authority to forgive sins, and then this, Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. We looked at this passage a little bit last week, uh, if you're following along. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And notice, notice very carefully here that Jesus doesn't say that he knows the way. Uh, he doesn't say that he knows the truth or that he knows the life. He says, no, I am the way. Uh, Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
You know, this season of COVID-19 and quarantine has been pretty challenging uh, for Jenny and I, as I'm sure it has been for, for many of you. And one of the ways that we have tried to cope, uh, especially on those uh, crappy weather days, is we've taken some Sunday drives together. You know that term before, uh, where you go out and you just drive and drive for no good reason at all. And uh, there were some days, uh, there were some gray days in particular during the stay-at-home quarantine when Jenny and I didn't stay at home, but instead we got in my truck and we would just go out for these long drives together and we would explore all of these different roads that we had never driven down before. We probably drove by some of your homes and uh, didn't even realize it. Uh, my kids hate those drives, by the way. They, they find no joy in them whatsoever. Me, on the other hand, I love knowing that at any point in Hamilton County that there are probably 15 different ways that I can get back to my house and, well, I don't need to take the fastest way either. Sometimes the longest drive is the best of them all. Here's the thing. There are many in our world right now that think it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, that that any way works, that all roads lead to God. And and whether you agree with Jesus or not, I just want us to be very clear about what Jesus is claiming because Jesus says there is only one way to God, all right, that there aren't 15 different ways to God, that the way to God, the way to life for us is through Him. It's through Jesus Christ. And so here's what it boils down to. Uh, With these claims and many others that we're not even exploring today, here's what Jesus believed about himself. Jesus believed that he was and that he is God. Now, Mark, again, records some of the final hours in the life of Jesus, including the the questioning and the trial that led up to his crucifixion. And and I want you to see what he records in Mark chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 61. He writes, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Uh, Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes at this. Why, Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. I just want you to see here that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of Man and the Son of God. And this just emphasizes over and over again what Jesus believed about himself. And notice that Mark records it was to this that the priest tore his garments. Now, what was the significance of that? Well, tearing his garments was a way of expressing his horror for such blasphemy. And by not standing down as we see Jesus here, I think it just becomes perfectly clear that this is the testimony that Jesus wanted to communicate about himself. And he will be crucified for his claims, for these claims of who he was and who he is. Now, I know that believing that a person who walked this planet just like you and me is fully God is no small pill to swallow. And Jesus knew that. He knew that it would be hard for people to look at him, a person, and accept his claim to be God. And so what does he do? Well, he comes with evidence. I mean, he, he challenged people to consider with their own eyes his miracles and, and his wonders. And, and there were plenty of them. I mean, there, there are account after account of Jesus healing the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. 
but there's one miracle that far outweighs them all. But first this, uh, if you love baseball, uh, you know that there is nothing more amazing than calling your own shot as a batter. That means to predict what you're going to do before it really happens. And in baseball history, there is no greater name, no bigger name than the name Babe Ruth. And one of the stories that makes Babe Ruth larger than life is that he is believed to have called his own shot in the 1932 World Series against the lovable losers, the Chicago Cubs. And as this animation shows here, and as the story goes, that there were many heckling Babe Ruth from the crowd. And so as Babe Ruth comes to bat in this World Series game, he motions to the right field bleachers with his bat. And wouldn't you know it, on the very next pitch, launched the ball 440 plus feet into the bleachers. He called it, and then it happened. Well, in John's account of the life of Jesus, there's an incident in which Jesus drives out a bunch of people for using the temple as a place to make money for themselves. And it's quite a scene, and and the Jewish people demand that Jesus tell them what gave him the authority to do these things. And Jesus responds with these words. John records them in John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Stop there for just a second. The temple had already taken 46 years to build. It wasn't even complete. And here's Jesus saying that he could rebuild the temple in three days. But John adds a note here to make sure that we realize what is happening. He adds, but the temple that Jesus was speaking about was his body. And then this, he adds this in in verse 22. It says, then uh, after he was raised from the dead... And so he's, he's thinking back, and so we're, we're reading this as, as knowing that the resurrection has already taken place. John records, after he was raised from the dead, we all looked back and remembered what Jesus had said, and then they believed the Scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And so Jesus predicted his own death and his own resurrection and then backed it up. And the evidence supporting the resurrection of Jesus is outstanding. When you consider the, even just the four historical accounts of the resurrection, all written by eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even later on in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, after that, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And what's even more intriguing is when you consider how the disciples went into hiding when Jesus was arrested, but then came out of hiding to boldly proclaim the resurrection. I mean, take just Jesus' 12 original disciples as an example. Like, they went on to spread. They're going to spend the next years of their life, after the resurrection, spreading the word about Jesus' resurrection from the grave, and many of them will be tortured and martyred for their faith. Just put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. Would, would you die to cover up a lie? Think about that. 
Would you die to cover up a lie? Like if Jesus was a phony, I mean, if this was just one big hoax, one big cover-up to fool as many people as possible, like if your life was dependent on the denial or the affirmation of his resurrection, would you really die for a lie? Philosopher, theologian, and priest Thomas Aquinas put it this way. He writes this. He says, if the incarnation didn't really happen, all right, meaning Jesus come to earth, then an even more unbelievable miracle happened. The conversion of the world by the biggest lie in history and the moral transformation of lives into unselfishness, detachment from worldly pleasures, and radically new heights of holiness by a mere myth. Who did Jesus think he was? Nothing less than God. The question for you and me then is this one. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? Was he nothing more than an ordinary man? Was he a, just simply a great teacher and influencer? Or could he be God? C.S. Lewis was one of the most brilliant minds in the 20th century. He's the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series, and he didn't always believe in God. In fact, he said he couldn't. And so he set out to prove that there is no God, but if you know his story, the more he studied God, the more he studied the historical Jesus, the more he realized that there were really only three choices to conclude about Jesus. That Jesus is either a liar, that he is a lunatic, or that he indeed is Lord. And I love these words that C.S. Lewis writes. He challenges us by saying this, that you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. He says, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And he concludes, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and that he is the God of all. And so who do you say he is? Would you call him a liar? Would you say that he's a lunatic? Or would you have to conclude that he is And I know that today maybe some of you are still thinking, I need time. I've, I've got way too many questions. I, I need more information. Again, I want to point you to the Explore God website, exploregod.com. It's a great website if you've got questions. There are so many resources and articles and videos to look to if you, if you need some more time. I, I want to point out that, that Ben and I will be on Genesis Overtime here in just a few minutes. Uh, we'd be happy to, to talk about some of these things with you, maybe questions that you have, or at least point you to some other resources that you can check out for yourself. I want you to know that any of us on staff would be help, happy to talk with you. 
uh, to engage with you about these questions that you have. I, I know many in our church who have gone through some difficult, rough seasons of life, but it was through those rough seasons that they encountered the real Jesus in some remarkable ways. And I'd be happy, we'd be happy to try and connect you with some of them so that you can sort through some of these questions that you have. But at some point, let me just say this, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that you have all of the information that you need or that you're ever going to get. But to make the decision to call Jesus Lord of all and with your life and for your salvation, there comes a point where you just have to take that step in faith. You've got to take that step in faith. And so with that in mind, let me ask you today, what, what would it hurt? What is there to lose? Like, ask yourself today, like, what if this is true? What sort of difference could it make in my life? You know, the Apostle Paul is an amazing story of a man who was such an opponent of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, really a an antagonist. Uh, people lost their lives as a result of, of Paul's leadership and, and pushback and opposition to the way of Jesus. But there came a moment in his life where he encountered the real Jesus and his life was radically changed forever. And he's got an incredible story. I mean, next to Jesus Christ, I mean, uh, there, there's probably not a person on this planet who has had a greater impact for spreading the news of Jesus and Christianity to our world. And, and I love his words. He has written so many of the words that we find in the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul says this about his encounter with Jesus and what that encounter with Jesus meant to him. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For he that Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, the dominion of darkness there is just a metaphor for this dark, sinful world that we endure today. It's a metaphor for evil and pain and suffering and things like fear. Paul reminds us, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are brought into a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, one that is full of light and hope and purpose and courage and forgiveness for all people who turn and trust Jesus, trust Him as Lord of their life. Who is he to you? You know, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved, that we can be rescued. And maybe that's a decision that you're ready to make today and even doing right now in your own words, just to say, Jesus, rescue me. I want to be a part of your family. We'd love to help you in that. We'd love to help you with next steps. We'd love to celebrate with you today. I mean, maybe right now, if you're comfortable even to comment, I, I'm making this decision to trust Jesus with my life today. There's no greater decision that you can make than to trust Jesus as Lord of all. And let me end with this too. I think just a reminder for those of us who have trusted Christ with our lives. Let me go back to that verse one more time, if we can, in Colossians 1. Just this reminder that Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That means that fear does not rule in our lives, that courage wins, that Jesus wins, that he is our leader and he is our ruler. If you're needing hope today, I pray that you will find hope 
in the life and the purpose and the identity that you have in Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you've accomplished for us through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray that others would know him today, maybe coming to that decision for the first time in their lives. We thank you for those, Lord. We thank you for for those who are praying prayers like that today, receiving Christ in their life. But I pray also that you would encourage our church family and other believers to know that we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and that we are part of the kingdom of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. We have purpose, we have hope, we have life today and tomorrow and all of the days to come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.